You're listening to Trek FM. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Welcome, everyone, to Trek FM's local watering hole. I am so excited to be here tonight. Uh, the place is a little smashed up. I apologize about that. Uh, White Canary just visited, uh, and you do not want to believe the mess that Ruby and I have been picking up all afternoon to try and get ready. Uh, I am so excited to be here to, to talk about uh, a show that I I don't think I ever thought could kind of exist uh, on TV doing something this big and this bold and i've got some really cool guests to talk about this with me um jose it is great to have you back in the 602 club thank you glad to be here i know for you working uh with warner brothers you saw this pilot how long ago i think i want to say two months ago three <laughs> months ago something like that it's been a while yeah cool so. well, i'm excited to, to to get your thoughts on everything you just said you actually rewatched the the episode so that'll be fun and uh joining us tonight i'm really excited to have back uh after her star wars debut is bethany blanton bethany how's it going hey everyone it's going pretty well for me i'm Glad to be back on the show. Really looking forward to talking about Legends of Tomorrow with both of you. And I, how could I forget? I mean, I'm even wearing the shirt tonight, my Supergirl shirt. You helped us talk about Supergirl as well. So <laughs> um, you you have a huge love, I know, for um, superheroes, both Marvel and DC. And so I'm really excited to have you back to talk about some Legends of Tomorrow. Big Supergirl episode tonight. Oh, I can't wait. I like we're recording this everybody before Supergirl and so I'm just we'll record this and then I immediately get to transplant myself to the couch to watch that. So it's, <laughs> yeah, it's nice. a great night. Um <laughs> Well, before we dive into talking about the pilot episode for Legend of Tomorrow, just want to remind everybody that the 602 Club is part of the Trek FM network. You can find all of the shows on iTunes at iTunes.com slash Trek FM, where we are a featured provider. And while you're there in iTunes, hit us up with a star rating review. Really helps the show. You can find us on our own website at trek.fm. You can find us, of course, on Twitter at trek.fm, at Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. We're also on the Babel Conference, which is our listeners-only discussion group on Facebook. You can find us there. Just type Babel into the search field on Facebook or go to the website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. Leave us a voicemail. Uh, look on the sidebar on any show page on the website or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. And then, of course, if you'd love to email us, which I really enjoy. I just I got some great emails over the weekend about the show from people. Just go to trek.fm slash contact. Choose a show. Choose the 602 Club, and that will come right to me. And, of course, I can share those with any of the hosts that are on that week as well. So, well, guys, this is a huge mission on TV. Um, and obviously what these characters are facing. And for anybody who's not familiar at all with what's going on, Arrow and Flash have introduced a bunch of different side characters 
And those side characters have been building into something that they decided to create a whole show around called Legends of Tomorrow. And the basic setup is that Vandal Savage, who's an immortal, took control, is, is taking control of the world in the future. And Rip Hunter, who is a time master, is recruiting some quote-unquote heroes to help him stop Savage by traveling through time and hoping to stop him before he gains power in the future. So that's a lot to digest. And, and so, Jose, I kind of wanted to ask you, especially for people who might not be familiar with necessarily where in comic book land Rip Hunter comes from and Vandal Savage comes from, what is some of the most important background things that people might want to know about those characters diving into Legends of Tomorrow? Well, I, I think the beauty of Legends of Tomorrow is that you actually don't need to know a whole lot about, about any of that stuff to, to get into it. That's the beauty of the show. They kind of lay it all out there kind of straight up. Rip Hunter, if I remember my DC lore correctly, is a sort of it, you know very 60s sci-fi uh, character. The the introduction of the Time Masters was something that I think came about in the 80s. Um, but he never really had a huge presence other than sort of pulpy Rip Hunter and the Time Masters comics from like the 60s. And occasionally you'd see him kind of die, dip in and out of stuff in the 70s. He got a huge boost uh, not too long ago um, with a, a series with Booster Gold. Yes, that's right. When, yeah. When Booster Gold came back, kind of in a big way, I want to say, oh, pre-New 52, so we're talking like 2010, 2009, somewhere around there, there was a whole book about Booster and Rip traveling through time in the time sphere um, with Skeets, Booster Gold's uh, little uh, sort of robot sidekick. And, uh, and then eventually it turns out that uh, Rip Hunter was Booster Gold's father, and there was a, a, a whole bunch of stuff with that. But I think what you mostly need to know is that uh, Rip Hunter was originally designed to be um, a very pulpy, uh, from sort of cut almost from that Indiana Jonesy kind of mold, you know, Buck Rogers kind of mold, ray guns and spaceships and and stuff like that, and. Um, and that was sort of those adventures that he went on. They were always, you know, something else. What they've designed here is much more akin. There's definitely a Doctor Who vibe with the long trench coat um, and that look that he has to him. The the more stoic Time Masters kind of thing is, is again, it's a sort of a more recent incarnation of what the Time Masters are. Um, but I think what, what you mostly need to know is that Rip Hunter... Say, unlike a Doctor Who, who's, um, uh, you know, Doctor Who's a little bit more broadly encompassing show. It's space and time. It's anywhere and anywhere, anywhere at any time that you want to go to. Whereas Rip Hunter kind of stays very closely hewn to um, to Earth's history. So we saw a little uh, in the sort of what what I guess people call the Arrowverse. We've seen just a we they name check Rip Hunter in. Uh, the finale of Flash. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you first yeah. see the time bubble. 
So that's the first time we we kind of hear of him. And that time bubble is super classic DZ um, design. It's 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 like ripped right out of the comic book. Uh, the Wave Rider in the show is a little bit. Uh, that's a con- that's a construct for the show that I don't think has ever existed in DC. The name Wave Rider does, but it applies to a person, not a ship. Well, and one of the things I thought was most interesting too is that obviously they set up this season with Arrow and Flash, the Vandal Savage uh, arc. And the fact that, you know, they they brought in uh, Kendra and Carter and all that stuff. But what's so interesting is that DC right now, just in the comic books with the Superman run, uh, Justice League, they're using Vandal Savage in a huge way. And so it's interesting to see that synergy happening between all these different places. Now, this Vandal Savage is a little bit different than what we've got in the comics. But, you know, basically him being an immortal person who's evil... Uh, and looking to control the the world is the same in every place. So it's kind of interesting the way that I, I wonder if Jeff John's idea of of this was to kind of have everything be playing somewhat in the same sandbox. Well, I think um, uh, I don't have any, you know any insight into that per se. I mean, it's it's Greg. Um, it's Greg Berlanti and Andrew Kreisberg and 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 Legends is also Mark Guggenheim and um and obviously Jeff Johns and then they have a they have a showrunner there as well whose name escapes me off the top of my head, um but you know they're allowed they're allowed certain leeway to they they can ask for characters and get those characters delivered to the show and and things like that and um I think that the story as as has been publicized is that CW wanted a third leg to their you know franchise they. Uh, there was apparently some regret about Supergirl. Uh, that, that's been Mark Pedowitz said very openly that he kind of wished that he had, you know, sort of pushed a little harder to get that show. And um, and this is sort of what comes, what came out of it. And, you know, again, widely publicized, uh, you know, at TCA one this year, I think. And also there was a podcast that Andrew Kreisberg was on, you know, the the reel that we all saw back in May when uh, the new season was announced and the show was announced to be picked up, that was just kind of a temp thing. They just kind of made that in mm-hmm. like two or three days and then and then added the effects and that's what they kind of did a little you know, three-minute sizzle reel to kind of set up the premise for the show and then the pilot was shot much later. Mm. Um, unlike normally we would have shot a pilot during that time and that was the case. But as far as like getting all the characters in a sandbox, I you know, I think that What's great about the way that Warner's and DC Comics and uh, is working with these properties, whether it be Supergirl at CBS or sort of the Arrowverse, including Arrow, Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, is that they're allowed to kind of do whatever they want to do. They don't have to, um, you know, they can't go get Superman, Wonder Woman, and Batman. Right. But... But they can sneak in. They can sneak in a, a Hal Jordan reference mm-hmm. in an yeah. Arrow episode, <laughs> or they can uh, they can name check Coast City and Central City and Midway City. Which, if you watch the Suicide Squad trailer, that's where that takes yep. place. <laughs> yeah, they can do a lot of that stuff. So I think what what happens over time. Now you're into season four of Arrow, season two of Flash. Um, you end up be building a gallery. You end up building, uh, you know, a group of people. They they see that uh, Katie Lotz is a is a fan favorite. Let's get her into the mix. We know that K- 
Captain Cold and uh, Heat Wave are also like we like them. They're good characters. They're also fan favorites. Let's get them into into the mix. We know the Firestorm character was popular. Let's bring that into it. Like they were all these shows were introducing all of these things sort of independently. And when it came to the this idea, like let's make a team show. Well, we already have all of these great characters. Let's throw them together. Add the time travel. Let's add Rip Hunter. Let's add the Hawks. That's really kind of all they added, right? Yeah, you know, that's there true. Wasn't, there wasn't, you know, and then let's move on. We had to give Firestorm a new persona. So both Arrow and Flash spent a couple of episodes this season kind of laying laying pipe, as we like to say, you know, laying the foundations for Legends. But um, it's given them a, this huge palette to draw from. And now we're getting we're getting Vixen, I think, on Arrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw that. Up, I can't wait. Right? That was announced. I mean, we, she's already been in there because of the cartoon, but now we actually get the live action version of Vixen with the same actress who does the voice. So they can keep building on that as much as they want. And, and they're not, and that doesn't step on the movies. Mm-hmm. That doesn't step on Supergirl. Right. That doesn't step on, you know, Gotham or Lucifer or whatever, you know, like they can just kind of go and do. And that's a, that's, that's a great freedom about that because they're not beholden to the films. And therefore, there's no tug of war between them other than, obviously, the big three. But even Supergirl skates that mm-hmm. because they've got their own Superman. Well, and, and they get to talk about Superman and her cousin and even have them yeah, yeah. text, you exactly. know, together all the time. Well, and, and okay, I was just thinking about this. How awesome would it be to have finale season with these DC shows and have Monday be Supergirl mm-hmm. and then... Tuesday is a flash. Wednesday is Arrow, and Legends of Tomorrow is Thursday, and have all of that connected. I mean, that's a four-hour movie. If they if they would let Supergirl play in that universe by the end of this season or maybe next season, they're they're looking at just amazing. You know, we're talking film level anticipation for people with what well, they could certainly, do. Certainly, we've seen enough um, hemming and hawing about. Uh, you know, obviously everybody wants it to happen. Um, there's there are legal hurdles that have to be, you know, breached and 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 just sort of logistic, you know, logistics about putting that kind of a thing together. But certainly that would be fantastic. Um, that would be a lot of fun for all those shows to cross over. I don't know if you want to do a big four hour epic story, but I certainly think because I think you want to. S- I don't know. I feel like you want to service each show yeah, has their true. own arc going, and you don't want to betray that at the end. But certainly, the the joy of say the the Flash finale last year, mm. or even the Arrow finale last year, or I don't even think it was the finale. I think it was, there were the penultimate episodes of each series. They they did crossover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that penultimate episode of the Flash had Arrow and Firestorm mm-hmm. in it. Oh, and then so the good. Penultimate yeah. episode of Arrow, Barry shows up and helps them get about get out of a jam, and then he leaves. So that's fun. Like if we if we can do something like that, that would be a, a lot of fun. And I think I think as far as crossing over with Supergirl, if all the legal challenge you know hurdles can be um, can be crossed, um, then. Yeah, I think Flash is sort of the best fit for that. Mm. Oh, definitely. Be great. I mean, I think everybody just kind of wants to see them in a race, you know, do that classic Superman Flash race, but do it with Supergirl and Flash. It'd be awesome. Flash. Well, I think that the shows are so tonally similar mm-hmm. yeah. that um, they, uh, I think it, it 
it's a nat they're natural fit for each other. Mm. I, I think the characters would be such a uh, they would be like the we must be long lost friends that we just never knew type of characters. Uh, so I, I think tonally similar is is definitely spot on there. Uh, frankly, I would love a crossover like that. And and if I think if the show creators were a little worried about too much tying in or too much of a, well, why don't they always just team up? Uh, they could deal with that by possibly having Supergirl be brought into the Legends of Tomorrow universe through a time travel device uh, where she eventually does wind up back in her own time in her own city. And that's the end of her adventures, at least for the time being. That that would be a nice way to deal with any possible. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think story wise, it's much of a problem. I mean, I think they've they've established that um, there's a multiverse. We've got Earth one Earth two, whatever. Uh, I think that you'll just see more. They'll they'll just expand on that. Supergirls in its own universe. Uh, I, I it, there was a there's a podcast, a Kevin Smith podcast. He was talking about the uh, Legends of DC Universe. Mm-hmm. What was it called? The uh, Rise of the Justice of the Justice League. The Dawn of the Justice yes, League. Yes, that special and, they did on TV the other day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he was talking on his podcast about how they cut out a bit where um, Jeff Johns was talking about how the flash opens up the the multiverse up and basically without without coming right out and saying it is just saying look uh the arrowverse is its own universe the supergirl universe is its own universe the um movie universe is its own universe and these things can all they're all just existing simultaneously and they just kind of and if you want to the flash is your conduit to cross over mm-hmm into all of these things. Mm. So, I mean, I think story-wise it's an it's an it's an easy fix. I think the the more um the the trickier thing is how do you manage uh boring business and legal stuff? Like what is Supergirl allowed to use? What is what is Flash allowed to use? Are we allowed to put super characters, Supergirl characters in the Flash? Is that part of the contract? Does it? Mm. it it's all. Yeah. It's all mostly legalese and and network whims. Do we want to advertise a competitor show, even though we're co-owned, whatever? But it's still a competitor. They they're legally a, a a competitor of CBS. Do we want them to compete against us? And what about the thing that we have to put on that night against the show that we're crossing over with? You know, like it's all weirdly business complicated. <laughs> I don't think it has anything to do with with the creative side of it. They they're they're stoked. I think they would love to do it because um, I think every time you hear them talk about it, they're like, yeah. "Oh yeah, we we're all over that." But we just have to, you know, the lawyers and the business people have to make it, you know, okay for us. You got to think that they've got that in their back pocket. Just the moment the the lawyers figure it out, you know, if it's okay, that they've got an idea stashed away of how that they would make this happen. And I suspect, and, and again, total speculation on my part. I, I don't know anything about it. But I suspect it'll be something that happens. may not happen this year because... Supergirl should maybe get a chance to stand on her own without needing, you know, support from another show. You know what I mean? Yeah. Let her tell her own story and gain her own following and the whole thing, which is happening, you know, slowly but surely. And then next year, start doing the the crossover kind of stuff. But you never know. 
it you know any, anything can happen. Yeah. So if I've learned anything from the DC shows, it's that anything can and could and probably will happen because they're not afraid to do everything. Well, that is the nice thing about television is that you know every eight days, every nine days, you make another one. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and you know you can have stuff down on a board, but you know at the same time it it you can make a course correction if you need to. You can you can say, well, episode twenty was going to be you know, you know the multiple man or you know King Shark Part Six or more Grot or whatever, but let's just let's give it to let's do the crossover, you know we got the green light let's do this things you know so that's it's kind of a nice thing you can even do. like bringing in Constantine which uh, really surprised me oh, but I so thought it was good. pretty cool for a uh, Arrow yeah, I thought it was great I I. Yeah, I thought it was great. I I was very disappointed when Constantine disappeared and and I left as a show. And I thought uh, I thought Matt Ryan was a unbelievably great Constantine. Yeah. So to to get him back just for one more swing, um, I I thought was was really nice and and he fit in really well and it didn't fit it it didn't feel he didn't feel out of place and it was it was cool it was really cool and now he's in the world yeah it's now awesome. he's a thing in the world. That you know, if if again, if the powers it be and you know the the stars align properly, he can always come back. Bethany, that's a question I had for you. Something that this this DC universe on TV has been doing, which is uh, just allowing characters to kind of jump from series to series, kind of the way that comics do. And how has that impacted like the way that you enjoy these shows? I think overall it has uh, positively influenced my enjoyment of the shows. I, I really do love it when there are Arrow and Flash episodes. And uh, if I'm being completely truthful, I like the drama that that can sometimes bring because um, Ollie is just so different from Barry. You know, when they when they get into a disagreement or something, it can be pretty interesting. Uh, but it it brings a level of excitement to the shows that, uh, while yes, each show is exciting on its own two feet, uh, it's it's always nice to mix it up and compare and contrast the heroes and see how they work together. So it adds more interesting dynamics to it, I think. Which is which is one reason why I really love Legends of Tomorrow is because it it brings together such a great uh, motley crew of sort of secondary, in some cases cast off new or even more villainous characters as the heroes. Well, and and one of the, as you were talking, I was kind of thinking that what it also does is it makes you feel like each week you really are watching a comic on television, you know, because, yeah, Barry shows up helping out Oliver with a problem and vice versa. And now with Legends Tomorrow, everybody just plays together in the same way that, you know, you know, and I'm reading DC Comics, Wonder Woman shows up and helps Aquaman out for an issue. It's not a big deal. It just happens, you know, and, and so then doing that on TV, it, it's it's the best representation, I feel like, of, of comics come to life every single week. And it's it's just... It's a wonderful thing. Like, we just live in an awesome time. Who would have thought, you know, we'd be talking about one day that Flash and Arrow uh, are, are crossing over with, you know, the Atom and, you know, Hawkman on TV regularly. Yeah. I, I mean, we 
well, I mean, we ducked a bullet with that Justice League of America pilot back in the early 2000s, late 90s. Uh, with, but aside uh, from that. With uh, Miller, uh, um, was that was that the George Miller one you were talking about where they were No, 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 about? that's a movie. There was a oh, pilot okay. uh, from the, oh, I want to say mid-90s. I can't remember. Mid-90s, maybe early 2000s. Um, of Justice League of America with the Atom mm-hmm. and Green Lantern and the Flash and who else was in it? Um, I can't remember who the the Fury I think. Oh wow! Um, and Ice, yeah. Um, and uh, whoo, that pilot was no good. Um, but <laughs> but but they tried. They tried once to do it. We just weren't quite there yet. No, I think the beauty of the Arrowverse is that because they have the history now, they have. All of the arrows, all of the, you know, season of the Flash, but all of those arrows in that season of the Flash where they just kept like every up, every issue, every episode was like, here's something new. Here's something new. Here's something new. They have now slowly developed their own world and it feels rich and lived in so that when characters do cross over, when little moments are, are spoken about, we're in that pilot. It opens with Ray in that computer and he's, and Oliver brings up Hive and, you know, hopefully you've been watching the other shows. And if you have, you don't need to know what's going on exactly, why Adam's doing what he's doing. But if you're watching Arrow, then you know what he's doing. Right. And that yep. makes the world feel lived in. I almost thought that they were going to have the little thing you do in a comic book where you have the asterisk oh, yeah, on the bottom the, the, that the says, see Arrow episodes, you know, six, seven, and eight. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. The same thing when Rory and Mick, a Captain Cold and Heatwave, come out of the bank. It's a central city, so we know we're in Flash's world. And like those little tiny touches, they they mention Saint Roque uh, at some point in time for the Hawks. So you get that. You get a little. Uh, you know they're in Pittsburgh because that's where they left Firestorm off. You know earlier, and it, it's all these little bits are the world feels lived in. Mm. It feels like something that has history and has insight jokes that people who have been watching the show for a long time can get, but yet accessible to others. It's, it's, it's a really cool bit um, that it's a little, it's a really cool little world that they've managed to sort of build for themselves. Bethany, for you, you know, getting a chance to finally, you know, cause we've been waiting for a while. <laughs> we've been teased uh, for a long time with this show now and what were your first impressions as you were getting an opportunity to finally sit down and watch the show and all of these characters kind of come together in one place? Oh, man. Well, first of all, I did really enjoy the episode and uh, I'll be excited to follow the show as it continues to air. Uh, I, I suppose my one concern was how removed the show can uh, slip into feeling and what I mean by removed is again so far to the audience our main characters if you will uh, from these series are the Arrow and the Flash and the supporting cast most of the characters in Legends of Tomorrow have been uh, either guests on the show like we've seen them for one or two episodes or they've been in and out of the show so we, we need to have the time with the characters, and there are a lot of them, to get to know them better. Uh, and I, I think we got some of that. For instance, I love the scene where Sarah and, you know, Captain Cold and Heatwave are like, let's just, let's go get drinks at a bar. 
and wind up in a bar fight, uh, all fighting on the same side. Um, but we definitely need more of that. Uh, and with with the show being set, first of all, in a world that we don't live in, you know, you have to buy into a world like Star Wars or like The Lord of the Rings or The Flash and Arrow. And this is one step removed from the world of Flash and Arrow because it's set in their future. So we need to have time in the show within that time period to learn to care more about the future. And I think it's Captain Cold or Heatwave. One of them pointed out, you know, who cares? It's, you know, it's beyond a time. We'll already be dead. So who cares what happens then? Um, And I, I don't want the audience to fall into having a difficult time caring what happens because it's a little bit removed from what we're used to. So I think, you know, more time with the characters, more time with the show itself, we'll see an audience that uh, quickly becomes big fans of the show. That is one thing that I, as I was watching it the second time, I noticed they did a really great job of making sure that you found a way to to be somewhat connected to the future because, you know, they give you Rip Hunter's background and actually why he's doing this in the story. And it's because his wife and child are killed by Vandal Savage and he's victims of this evil. And so he has a personal reason for wanting to stop it as well as just wanting to see it stopped as well. And I liked that. And then I loved when he kind of shows them all the what their world would look like in the future and you know it kind of does that really cool magical almost pullback of what the world looks like in a hundred years which is it's all in flames like and yeah you're right some of the characters won't care about that you know like Leonard and Mick they they don't care uh, about the future they care about the here and the now and the the money they're going to make but the rest of these people have that like they have that altruistic bone <laughs> where they do. And I thought that was a really that was a really cool way of helping the characters find a way to be connected to the the mission they had set up. Um and I'm with you too. I'm I'm wanting to continue like Arrow and Flash, you know, it's about the story, but we care about those shows because we really like the characters involved. So I'm hoping we continue to get an opportunity to fall in love with all the different characters that they're using here, um, especially since, like you said, you know, we've Ray Palmer, we saw him a bunch in season three of, of Arrow and, and now some of season four, but he's also been a side character more than he's been a main character, um, and the same with all of them. So uh, we need the opportunity, like Flash and Arrow, to fall in love with our main leads, and this has that kind of, like, next generation-ness to it star trek wise where you have seven main characters and yet to service all those characters can be tough if you're not good writers yeah no i don't i don't disagree at all um i think yeah i mean a team show versus a show say like flash or arrow where the focus is clearly on the flash or arrow and then everything around them are sort of secondary characters and you have to service their story as well, but it's not quite the same thing. The focus of the show is what's Green Arrow doing every week and what's The Flash doing every week. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Legends, you do have you, you have a crew, and they're all they all need sort of care all the time. Um, and that's going to be a, a balancing act, I think. That they'll they'll have to 
hopefully uh, manage their way through. I mean, it's it's always tricky, I think, writing for a, a bunch of people. I think all the Star Trek shows are excellent examples of how characters can either get lost in an ensemble or, you know, or get found. You know, sometimes you don't hear about a guy for six episodes and then all of a sudden they get their, their episode. So it's a question of how they're going to uh, juggle that as the season uh, moves on. And, you know, the other thing too is that first year show. So there's going to be a lot of, um, going to be a lot of discovery for them. You know, mm, what, yeah. how do the characters play well together? What are the, what are the best interactions? How, how do actors work well together? All that kind of stuff. I thought this was really interesting, Bethany, because obviously we're both huge Star Wars fans, and having these uh, Time Masters feel a lot like Jedi <laughs> um, in the Jedi Council, who uh, are very, you know, uh, removed, and they don't believe in getting married or having a lot of attachments. I thought that was a really interesting thing to pull into these characters. And then you have the one rogue Time Master, Rip Hunter, who kind of is like the Anakin of the group. I, it's it's funny you should say that because they do feel like Jedi, but they feel a lot like the Jedi of the prequel era, which mm-hmm. to me yeah. is a more flawed Jedi Order and a Jedi Order that, that wind up in a lot of ways um, causing their own demise. Uh, the fact that, you know, in, in Legends of Tomorrow this group of people are unwilling to bend the rules at all, despite the fact that the entire world is going to end. And they're, they're worried about somehow making a worse future. <laughs> and I, I, I'm a little like, you know what, guys, rules are there for a reason, but if you made the rules and the rules aren't working, you need to re-examine this. So, uh, the, and uh, to me... Rip Hunter felt a lot like Qui-Gon where he's like, you know, I, I tried to make them see reason, but I have to do what my heart tells me is right. Uh, so I think right now we're seeing Hunter as a foil for all these other characters that we're interested in. But I think that he will wind up being a character to really keep our eye on. He's going to wind up, I think being the leader of the group who helps form this, you know, misfit secondhand uh, characters, two of whom are actually bad guys, into a crew who will wind up working well with each other, trusting each other, and doing some really hard things to save the world. I mean, they are going up against two very powerful, very evil villains, as, as we now know that... Uh, Damien Dark is also involved. Something you, uh, we talked a little bit before the show, Jose, was that not only does it have a Star Wars connection, but obviously we talked a little bit about there's a big Doctor Who connection, and it feels so much like the story we get in the reboot of Doctor Who, where the Doctor disagreed with the Time Lords, stole a TARDIS, ran away, and ended the Time War on his own terms because he saw what needed to be done. And again, Rip Hunter feels very much and very similar to that. <laughs> well, yeah, he does. Absolutely. And, and like I said, I think he's very much cut from that cloth. Uh, I think he's more um, old school Doctor Who. Yeah. Sort of pre, uh, 
reboot. Cut, um, cut from that cloth, quite literally speaking, when you look at his coat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, no, no, no. The coat is absolutely... But it's weird because I think it both... It's it's a weird choice because I, I never... I would never have thought of Rip Hunter as a, as a Brit, right? With a British accent. And it works. It's fine. I mean, I'm not, it's not something I'm opposed to. But to me, Rip Hunter being cut from that sort of pulpy 50s, uh, late 50s, early 60s stuff always felt like a sort of more American hero and here he is he's got the long western duster he's got a, a gun that looks like a six shooter you know he's he's very american but yet british so but back to the doctor who analogy um i he he feels more old school doctor who because um the time masters feel a little bit like time lords they mm-hmm. feel a yeah. little bit cuz old school doctor who the doctor same idea you know it, it's i mean it's the same story it's not like it ended with the re, with the reboot they didn't really reboot it it's just a continuation of the old story but um you know he he left he you know he he they're all stoic and they don't mess with time and we just kind of observe we don't get involved that kind of thing and he was one of the few that was like i'm out of here like i'm gone and and he was a renegade and chased and hunted and you know, all of that stuff back in the old days. So that all, that origin story, at least the the part of the motivation for it feels very Doctor Who. Where it doesn't feel Doctor Who is that Rip Hunter is doing this because he had a family mm-hmm. and, right. and, and because he... And because he wants to right that wrong, whereas the Doctor never really had that. The connection that they both have, though, to each other is the Doctor's for lack of a better term, humanity. Mm, yeah. His love of humanity and his, not just humanity, but of life and not letting the, how do you call it? The self-imposed rules of those get in the way of doing what he thinks is the right thing to do. So that is, that is where that's in that speech where he says at the beginning where Rip Hunter says, uh, I'm not appealing to you as time masters, but I'm appealing to you as, as humans, as, as people, you know, we need to do this for the good of humanity, you know, forget the rules for, if there's no, if there's no more world for us to defend, what's the point of us defending this timeline if it ends so terribly? And, you know, their argument is, well, that's what we do. That's time. Lots of bad things happen. We don't intervene in everything. We just, we just, time moves on, you know? And, um, and I'm sure it's a fine argument from their side, but it's just, particularly cold and heartless so you know he steals a time machine and takes off so there's some there's definitely there's definitely some connective tissue between the two characters and andrew kreisberg has said very openly that he is a huge doctor who fan and that there's a you know that there's absolutely some something there and i gotta say i enjoyed this more than 99 percent of doctor who this season except for that last episode. So I disagree about that. I think this is great. (laughs) I'm glad that they, they took on that mantle and and are definitely trying that. So (laughs) I I was wondering uh, for the two of you, was there anything in this episode or this premiere that uh, definitely fell flat for you that either you just weren't interested in at all, or, or you just thought was not very good or didn't appeal to you? Sure. I, I think if I'm going to give it some a little bit of criticism is that um, because it is it moves so fast, you don't get a lot of time to kind of get to know anybody. I mean, I know who some of these people are because they've been on other episodes, 
it would have been nice to have like kind of slowed things down a little bit. I also didn't care much for Kronos. Um, like I like the idea of him as a villain and he's got a cool look to him, but he felt really flat and just kind of like, like a robot. He just felt like a robot mm-hmm. and he didn't feel like a person, which he's pretty simply it's a person in there. Um, so I felt like he needed a little more um, fleshing out to make him a, give him a little bit more substance. Whereas Vandal Savage has some weight to him and he feels more organically villainous. Kronos just felt like a, like a, like they just sent a, you know, a robot. He could have been anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so I think those things uh, hopefully will get more uh, play in the future. Again, 16 episodes. So we got a long way to go. That felt a little like, uh, okay. But, you know, cool. I, I I almost would have preferred if he hadn't shown up or if he had been there kind of on the trail hunting them, you know, for two or three episodes and then eventually mm, that, catches yeah, up to them. That would have been kind of cool. To give him a little give him a little gravitas. But he just kind of shows up and starts, you know, shooting people. And and it makes for a really cool action scene. Do not and get me Boba wrong. Good Boba Fett jokes. Um Yes. And a good Boba Fett joke, absolutely. <laughs> I uh, can't go wrong with a good Boba Fett joke, but that said, um, if there wasn't enough menace to him mm-hmm. other than, oh, he like erased two dudes from the timeline and like, okay, well, the, he's okay. So he's serious, but then it's like, well, how's he holding up against Firestorm and Adam and the dude with the six shooter? And, you know, it was a, it was a lot to like take. I mean, um, on the other side, he's definitely like, what? 80% cooler than Boba Fett already. I mean, he's got more to do so far uh, than well, yeah, Boba so Fett. So far, he's did. had more to do. Absolutely. <laughs> but you're right. He there. It would have. I, I think you're right. If he had connected the the storyline a little bit, where he's kind of following in the trail and trying to figure out what where they're up to, and he's kind of always one step behind for a little bit. So you kind of have an opportunity to maybe get to know him with the mask off yeah, or something I, where you you're know, they could have found some time master flunkies to throw at them so you can still have the cool fight scene but just to have chronos kind of working his way up to give him a little bit more you know that maybe worked that maybe would have worked better for me um but again i don't know where the series is going so we'll just we'll see where it goes and maybe you know i'll get that payoff later on for me, Bethany, I think the the characters that um, I'm still warming to, and it's because I've spent the least amount of time with them in any of the series, is the the Kendra and the Carter characters as Hawk Girl and Hawk Man. I, I I like those characters from the comics, and I think they're very cool. But I'm still warming to them, and I think they're still kind of finding their way within those roles and aren't quite as comfortable as everybody else on screen. Um, and you can, I, I feel like you can feel it. Um, you know, I, she, Brandon Routh, Katie Lott's playing Sarah Lance and, you know, um, both of the guys playing the villains there with Leonard Mick and they've been doing this for a long time. Victor Garber is Victor Garber. So he doesn't need time. <laughs> um, and his partner is, is, decent so far but yeah i think i think for me that's the part where it's um they're a big part of this first episode and i still need time to warm up to them i think that makes sense and i i ask because i I touched on it a little but for me there is a a little bit of an off feeling as i watched the episode even though i did really enjoy it but i i think both of you have kind of combined it which is 
if there's anything to complain about, it's not necessarily that things were done poorly so much as we want more time with the different characters kind of slow down a little and maybe introduce characters a little more slowly. Or maybe, you know, for me, I have not read the comics to for any of these characters. So the less familiar ones, maybe I just more personally need to spend more screen time with them before they feel more like a, a story that I'm invested in, I guess. Yeah, I think that makes complete sense. And, you know, bringing in the idea of the different characters which ones do work best for you guys and which ones are you still on the fence about which ones where you did you see where you had the chemistry where you're like oh i want those two characters to spend more time together boy I, you know i think for me um i'm i was already a big fan of the uh how do you call it the portrayal the the characterization of uh adam mm-hmm. yes of, uh, of ray palmer a lot. I think. I think Brandon really is very good at playing that very eager puppy kind of uh, <laughs> yes. kind of thing. You know, he's we've just, been punked. He's so happy. Do people still I'm very say happy that to be here, sir. And and I want to do the best. <laughs> and and I this is all so much fun. I don't know what to do with myself. Like that's I I think he's spectacularly good at that. So I like him a lot. Um, boy, Wentworth Miller as Captain Cold. Who would have thought that that thing would work as well as it does and it just works he is so good i love his he has that cadence that delivery of lines where you know everything's just a little bit drawn out it's it's that alan rickman effect and and a little bit it's a little bit of that but but he he is he is to pardon the pun he and i'm sure it's part of the character it's he plays it so cool Everything is just, he's just really cool and relaxed. And, you know, I, so I really like him a lot. And I've got a sweet spot for Firestorm. So anytime those two are like get together and Victor Garber is talking and is, you know, talking like a, you know, like a disembodied voice and yes. the whole thing. Oh, I, I mean, look, I can, I'll tell you my thing with Firestorm. So I was watching the cut of when Firestorm on Flash last year. So I get to watch these things a little bit ahead of time. And um, so I was watching the cut of The Flash and um, the, the, you know, the one effect that you can do in a cut is the voiceover. And I didn't know what they were going to do. In the comic books, um, Firestorm was always portrayed as, um, you know, it's Ronnie Raymond and he's, you know, in the, fla- in the Firestorm uniform. And then there'd be this little floating head next to him representing the mm-hmm. disembodied voice of Martin Stein, telling him, you know, chemical compositions and how things actually work so that he could use his nuclear powers to do whatever it is that he needed to do. And when Victor Garber's voice like came over the speakers and it was just this disembodied voice saying something to Ronnie, I freaked out. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> this is the best thing I've ever seen. I turned into like a 12 year old. I was the, it was so fantastic. So to, to, to get a show where Firestorm's flying across, the, I, I mean, it's so cool. So those, but as far as like, like that's just a fanboy thing. But as far as like actual characters, I think Adam brings a lot of like, like he's kind of he's a little bit us. He's sort of our way in. He's the excited one in the group. Mm-hmm. Everybody else kind of brings a lot of um, angst. How do you call it? Angst and baggage with them for the most part. Um, except for you know, even even Firestorm isn't quite as angsty. But Ray brings that light 
where he kind of feels like an emotional center. He feels he's he's riffing off that Superman vibe that he that he has, and then he's bringing his own thing to it. And and I don't know how you can't not love Wentworth Miller as as Captain Cold. Oh man, I have to agree with everything you said about Adam. So I'll I'll be pretty short with him, but. Uh... You know, a part of what I love about his story in Legends of Tomorrow and the fact that he's in this show is he felt so, as a character, lost in the Arrow world. Like, you know, Felicity is now with Ollie. She's running his company, which has no need for him, honestly. Uh, it's It's not like the Arrow needs tons of help right now. And so it, it's it's kind of like ever since his uh, supposed death and return, he's felt like a character without as much of a purpose, even though I, he could definitely have one. Uh, but I, I think this sort of new direction for him, and he even mentions it in the show, but the new direction. Say, and, that's the, and that's the best thing is that they take that, they take that weakness, that, that, problem and they incorporate it into his character right yeah it's it's not like there's this awkward uh well you know we already have enough people in arrow so <laughs> let's just get rid of him any way we can no it, it actually made great sense as a story because i mean if if you do disappear and I, this was something that oliver dealt with you know for probably good two seasons was returning back after so many years of being gone it, caused a lot of drama and heartache and uh, just personal and psychological issues for him to deal with, even though, you know, his family's happy to have him return and he's doing a lot of good. It, you can't make a change like that and not expect there to be some consequences. So I, I feel like his story has been done a really good service by this change. Yeah, and I think that what endears me more to him is that he's taking that and not... I think Oliver, as a character, might be more prone to just kind of, well, mope about it until, you know, maybe Felicity or somebody, you know, Diggle gives him a heart-to-heart, you know, hey, man, kind of talk. And um, But here, the his response is, you know, I died, I came back, and it didn't mean anything. Like, nobody cared. And... Then he gets on the wave rider and he's told, well, I really plucked all of you guys out because you really don't mean anything. And his initial response to that was, oh, we can be down. I, I, I'm kind of down about this. And then he comes around and is like, you know what? But we can change our lives. We can change our destiny. We can change our, we can change our future. Yeah. We can be and heroes he, if just for one day. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So he, you know, it, exactly. We could be heroes just for one day. We could do this thing and it could change it could change our future. So why not do it? Yeah, and it is really refreshing to have somebody who as you mentioned has so many superman like classic hero qualities because you know, as as much as emo characters or characters with a lot of baggage or darkness can work really well, and I, I mean, I think we've seen a great example of that in the extreme with Jessica Jones and even Daredevil to a degree. But oh, sure. uh, in this particular cast, uh, the Adam brings a really refreshing attitude to the whole team, as does, I, I mean, Sarah comes with a lot of baggage, 
But at the same time, she is definitely, she's coming more from a place of hope now. The fact that she is the white canary, that she listened to her sister. I, I'm really hoping that we see her kind of blossom into someone who's more confident in her own skin now. Well, you do get the feeling that when, I think it, it's such a weird time, I think especially for DC, but um, as far as the filmed properties are, are concerned, whether it be movies or television or whatever, um, there is a, they definitely hit a, a very uh, strong note with the flash with its bright, hopeful optimism that you can see how that's bled into arrow now. Mm-hmm. And season four is, is trying to be a much lighter show. They're letting Steve and Mel smile. And it's a lot funnier. Jokes. Yeah. And, and, and he's the green arrow now, not just the arrow. And uh, you can see how that's influenced Supergirl. And you can see it in legends, how it's changed uh, not changed, but how they've taken these characters like a Sarah Lance that was meant to be kind of like this extreme version. You know, she's super ninja assassin. And now we, we're going to lighten her up a little bit. And, you know, we're going to take the two criminals and lighten them up a little bit. And, you know, like th- that tone has has influenced the, the way that we're telling these shows. and um, And then the movie side has to balance the other thing where they're trying to do a much more realistic, you can call it grim or dark or whatever. I don't buy any of those things, but they're trying to do a different kind of, uh, a different kind of thing. And then they get, and they get dinged for that. And then you get shows that are kind of maybe overly hopeful and bright and they get dinged for being overly hopeful and bright. It's like, it's very, it's a very tough um, uh, road to, to travel. But I think they're trying to do the best that they can. I think what I love most about Legends is that it does feel like a comic book. It feels like a, you know, much like The Flash does. Uh, it feels like, you know, those things, you know, those 99 cent comics you pick up from a spinner rack and, you know, 40 heroes and just madness. And I'm like, yeah, give me more of that, you know. What I loved uh, watching the episode and the characters that stood out, it was funny because we keep talking about it. I love Ray and I continue to love him. And I love um, Sarah and I love what they're doing with her. And what I was thinking to myself, and I said to my wife tonight, I said, would it be interesting if Ray and Sarah started spending more time together? Because they they have that odd coupleness to them, that dichotomy. Mm-hmm. You know, she's probably the darkest one on the show, even though we have two criminals on the show. She's the one with the darkest past. And, you know, and then you have Ray with the one who's always just Mr. Sunshine. And... I just I'd love to see characters like that spend more time together. And I think that was what was fun about watching this show is that there are all these different combinations that you can make. And each one, I mean, like you said, Bethany, earlier, Sarah going to the bar with uh, Leonard and Mick and getting in a bar fight was awesome. It was hilarious. Uh, And it worked so well to watch those characters play together. And then... um, you know, I, I, I'm just so interested to see that continue happening because that's a great way to um, really accelerate character development when you have two opposing type of characters spend time together because then you tend to learn a lot about them. Oh, yeah. So they really have yeah set up a great opportunity because they're going to have a shorter season anyway. 
of being able to do some character growth a little more quickly because you have opposing characters working together and a lot of times that leads to larger amounts of character exposition and growth more quickly. So I'm super excited. I think that's one of the things that I can't wait to see all of these characters do. So I Yeah, I think love it. it'll be a lot of fun watching the watching them sort of mix and match um you know characters together. Oh yeah, and, and I I'm very interested to see the effect that the rest of the team has on Leonard, uh, particularly Leonard, but both of our resident bad guys. Uh, I I think that Sarah may actually be the one to have the biggest effect on them because she does have a really dark past and she's coming back from it. And she, she makes no bones about having had a dark past and... You know, I, she's willing to get into the bar fight. She's not as a uh, perhaps pure and boy scout like Atom or some of the other characters would be. So I, I think that she will be a good example to the two of them as to what they might wind up striving to be. I'm not sure, but that could be pretty interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think um, I, I don't want them to take uh, the the. I don't want them to take the villain out of the villain. Like I like the fact that Mick and and Leonard are are they're bad guys. You know, they're kind of in it for themselves and the, they're always going to be looking for their angle. So I don't want them to get too soft. I want them to still be them because they they have to constant as as villains they have they they have to be motivated by um by themselves, by what their needs are, not by the exterior groups needs leonard gets a little bit of a pass because he's more of a team player he's always talking about the crew and you know he's got this his set of codes and and stuff like that that you always hear him reference on the flash but um but i i i like the fact that that mix in there kind of like loose cannon you never know what he's what he could do yeah so so that could be a that could be pretty fun what's interesting is to watch the, this Leonard Snart character kind of mirror more what they've been doing in the new 52 with Captain Cold in the first place, which is he is in between a villain and a hero because he, in the new 52 recently, has been working for Lex Luthor, who has been working mm-hmm. with the Justice League now and because of all they're doing there, so that they've been turning on the, a lot of characters' heads who they have normally been. And it's, I just love the way that those things influence. And, you know, these guys are up on their yep, stuff. Jeff Johns loves yeah. Captain Cold. And it's, <laughs> he's a great character. So um, I'm so glad they're giving all of these characters an opportunity, especially, like I said earlier, you know, the characters I had maybe the hardest time with, the, the, the Hawks. I'm really hoping that they continue to grow in the show. And so... For you guys, we talked a little bit about Kronos, but how does Vandal Savage, specifically as being the villain and the overarching guy, work for you as kind of like, you know, the ultimate Hitler? I I think we've seen that he's lived long enough as a villain to have gotten extraordinarily callous. You know, it's it comes down to what Alfred said in... Uh, the Batman or the Dark Knight trilogy, that version of Batman, some men just want to watch the world burn, where we we literally see the consequences of Vandal Savage uh, being let loose in the world are that the world eventually burns. So I, I don't really know at this point what his full motivations are. 
but uh, I I think they have set him up for a villain who can end up being very intimidating. Um, I I am a little shaky on him though because in the crossover episodes with Arrow and the Flash, uh, they were able to defeat him fairly quickly in two episodes. And yes, the first time it, you know, definitely did not turn out very well, and they had and the Flash had to go back into the past in order to save uh, Oliver and all of the other terrible consequences that were going to happen. But um, I, Savage was so quickly there in a threat and then gone that it, it felt a little like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. That's a function of uh, how do you call it? That's a function of story, right? We we've got two hours and we got to beat the bad guy at the end, right? Um, and we also know he's going to be the bad guy going forward. Um, I think the great uh, I think the great thing about Vandal Savage as a villain is his immortality. Not just because it makes him indestructible, because that's a nice thing to have as a villain, right? It means you can throw all kinds of stuff at him and he'll survive. Right, it doesn't matter. He'll still come back. But I think what makes him a formidable villain and is is that immortality gives you experience. It gives you time. It lets you, which again fits with the time travel nature of the show. It lets you do the long con, the long game, the really long game, the two thousand year game. You know where you're slowly amassing power and influence over a long period of time so that when we get to, you know, when he finally rules the world, it's, it's because he's been at this for a very long time. And that goes, I think that makes him a formidable opponent. Um, and that's the way he's always kind of been in the comic books. Vandal Savage is, He's pernaturally strong, he's fast, he's a great fighter, all of that stuff. But Vandal Savage's sort of great um, great weapon is time, is his ability to, I've been there, I've done all this, I'm a military strategist, I'm a military expert, I'm a, I'm a I'm borderline genius, like I can, I can plan for the long thing. So um, I think that's what makes him particularly threatening as a villain, not... I mean, yeah, you have to take him out for the story's sake, but then Rip Hunter says, well, it has to be one of the Hawks, I think is what he says. Does he say it's one of the Hawks? Yeah, yeah. Or, um, or, or he can come back from just a single atom. Well, and, and you make so a great like, point, okay. too, because that would make him um, somewhat reckless, you know, in facing the arrow or the flash, even if they do manage to kill him, he knows that he'll come back. So really his only concern, yeah, exactly. which we did not know about, his only concern is, is just either of the Hawks. And that can make him pretty yeah, reckless, exactly. but uh, deservedly so. Right, and that's why he's willing to like, you know, obliterate a whole city of millions of people. He doesn't care. You know, he's got eternity waiting ahead of him. And it, that's, I think that's what makes him interesting. It's he has eternity ahead of him. Mm. You know, it, it, it doesn't matter to him. This is just this is just another day in, you know, millions of days. 
Well, and I think that's what's cool about just the him as the villain for the show is it gives you a reason. You know, you have a bad like this on a, a, a TV show or in a comic series. It gives you a reason to get more than one character together to stop them and um, have to do something kind of epic. And it's a, it's a great way to kick off a show like Legends of Tomorrow by giving us something that, yeah, Arrow can't, you know, face by himself. Uh, Flash couldn't do it on his own. We need an entire team to take this person out. Um, and like you guys have been saying, this guy is, he, he's heartless. He doesn't care. He's got eternity. There's pretty much nothing he can't do given enough time. Yeah, and they made a pretty good point mm-hmm. in the crossover that, Oliver's mistake was just going at him with just Arrow and Flash. Mm-hmm. That he needed everybody else. You know, that he needed he needed a whole team to take him down. So, we're going to we're going to need a whole team to do it again. What was interesting to me about the the show too, just kind of watching it over again is the, this kind of idea of, you know, legends are losers in this whole uh, great thematic storytelling of, you know, the devastation for Ray when he finds out that he's really not a legend and his life didn't mean anything. And none of these people's lives really meant anything. That's why they were picked. And and finding a way to find purpose and, and make something of your life and how important that is for all of us. I thought that was really cool. You know, we're not used to having our heroes be told that they're really not all that heroic and nobody will really remember them in the end uh and so go do something that they're challenged to go do something that will make us remember them uh i thought that was kind of a neat thing because it in the end it makes them so much more like us than we feel like you know when you see a big hero on the screen like a supergirl or wonder woman or you know batman or whatever they're already kind of legends in our minds but these guys are being told no you're not you're not special. You're just, you know, nobody will remember you. <laughs> and man, I, I found that kind of comforting that even heroes <laughs> have to have to find a way to find their purpose and make life matter. I think that's a really cool. That's a great theme to to have running through the show. I love it. Yeah, because so often, or perhaps this is my own internal exposition over superhero movies, but it seems so often that we might have, if I'll go with a cliche or a trope, you know, an, an average Joe or Jill who is uh, living a very discontented life without much purpose. And once they get their powers or they get trained to an awesome level of almost superpowers, uh, that's how they find their meeting, meaning is in the fact that they have these special powers or, say in the case of Batman, pretty darn close to it. Um, And I I like that even these heroes are very obviously flawed and still have to search for their meaning, as as we see with the Atom. On that theme, I think... um I think it's it's something that we've seen before in say old movies like say like the Dirty Dozen. Uh, yes, yes. I think I think I think and I think the new Suicide Squad kind of touches on the same idea of um you know people that don't amount to much um 
or don't mean much, but together kind of can be a, something greater than its whole. Um, and I also think that it's it's a good uh, way to, again, um, internalize something external, right? You do have a bunch of heroes or a bunch of characters, since we have villains involved, that nobody really knows. Like, who knows who? There's no marquee name here. I mean, at least Green Arrow and Flash, people know who those people are. Like, they are, they at least have a name. Like, they had cartoons, you know, or something. But nobody really knows who White Canary is or who um, uh, the Atom or uh, Firestorm or right. any of those guys. <laughs> those, those guys are, you know, they're not household names or, you know, they're barely household names. They're barely names that people in comic books know. That's not true, but you know what I mean. They're they're not people that everybody knows. So it's a good way to to take that concept. Here's a bunch of people that nobody really knows, and then take that and make it part of the drama. Right? It it's we're taking a, a weakness, a, 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 a something that could be weak to our show. And we'll take that idea and then spin it around and then turn it into something that we can mine drama out of. Hmm. Right? Nobody knows who our characters are. Good. Let's take that and make it the sort of mission statement that, yeah, nobody knows who you are. You guys are all a bunch of who the hell cares. But 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 your mission is to become somebody that we do care about. And that's I think that's a that's a good um how do they call it mission statement. Like we were talking about, you know, earlier the problem with Oliver was just thinking that him and Flash could take care of Vandal Savage and here the whole idea is that you're going to need a community you know you're stronger together than you are separately you know the the band of brothers type of thing uh, and that's really what we're gonna I think kind of see with these characters as you know uh, Martin Stein and Dr. Martin Stein excuse me doctor uh, and Jefferson Jackson talk about this idea that they both like being part of the team and they like that team aspect and this this group I think is going to find that they work and enjoy working better with the team and they find that way to work harmoniously to bring an end to this evil Vandal Savage and it, you know that's another important thing you know in a world where we live in like yeah, everybody is just can seem like they're so out for themselves you know um, that being in it together uh, and and being in it for more than just yourself is going to be an interesting arc, especially, you know, as you think with uh, Captain Cold and, and Heat Wave, uh, probably an arc we might see them go through a little bit um, that they might soften a little bit in their attitudes. Uh, so I just, the show's great with that. And I, I love that, you know, we're talking about comic book TV, but, it has something to, to say that's actually important and worth thinking about. And that makes for the best anything. Comic book, film, book, movie, whatever. You know, it's, it's awesome. So, Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. 100%. Just because it's a comic book doesn't mean it can't have depth. Exactly. Or well, I mean, talk about or, yeah, let's or talk Watchmen stuff. or, you know, anything. It, you know, well, I think... Yeah, but not, not even anything as heady as Watchmen. I mean, I, I think... I you know we we talked about Star Wars earlier. Look, Star Wars is a sort of pop culture, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. as as anything. But yet, there's all kinds of you know uh, uh, themes and stuff that you can mine down and 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 look at you know and 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 get out of that. 
Well, it, yeah, no, exactly. You know, Star Wars is is one of our pop mythologies, and, and in lots of ways, comic books are the same for so many of us. You know, they're the mythologies that so many of us have grown up with more so oh, yeah, than no, say, absolutely. you know, comic books are modern mythology in in a, in a, in much the same way that people used to talk about, you know, Roman gods. It's it's very much very much the same thing. Yeah, the only time we talk about those these days, uh, you know, is if you're running a Wonder Woman comic or you <laughs> pick up a Thor issue or something, you know. So <laughs> what did you guys uh before we wrap up I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on just the look and the feel of the show I mean it's big and there's a lot of effects and you know we're creating time that we've never even been to yet you know uh in the future and we're going back in the past to to the 70s you know um what did you guys just think about the production of the show itself um and do, do you feel like it, it really worked for you what about you Bethany uh, I, I really liked the production of the show itself uh, a lot, but I, I have to sidetrack for a moment just to mention that I love that the characters were making fun of the 70s because um, I, I will admit <laughs> I was not around for the 70s, and it's an era that both fascinates and greatly amuses me, so <laughs> to see the other characters having the same sort of oh it's the 70s kind of attitude really cracked me up so colorful yeah so colorful and uh yeah I, I don't know why it was that one moment that cracked me up so much but yeah um I I think I I do think that the quality for this show and for recent seasons of Arrow and the Flash uh has gone up production wise but I can see some better special effects and more of them. Uh, I, I do. You, would both of you agree with that? Or oh, sure. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I think I think that um, because of Flash, specifically, I think because of Flash, because Arrow really didn't. Um, Arrow has some special effects. They do some mostly wire removal and um, uh, things like arrows, <laughs> CG arrows. They do a lot of CG arrows on, on air. Um, uh, I won't tell Steven you said that. Yeah, don't tell anybody. Well, he uses real arrows too, but but anyways, um, a lot of CG arrows on air. Um, but that said, um, because Flash um, is a special effects heavy show, uh, it has allowed them to develop this pipeline where they've gotten very good at this. Armin Kevorkian, who's the visual VFX guy on Legends, uh, Supergirl, and and flash is uh he's got this whole thing kind of like he's he's getting they're getting really good at um getting these digital models to do the things that they want them to do the digital doubles doing what they need them to do so that you can do the flying you can do this you can do that and the technology is now at such a point now where we can get really sort of acceptable stuff um on television on a on a budget that isn't out of this world that we didn't we there was just no way you get away with this five years ago you know but now we can do this on a tv budget and in such a way that it works and they're all very they're very smart about how long to have people in costume where to make the cut where to like where to spend their money they're really clever on especially on flash holy cow what they do on flash and you can see that the effects are better on supergirl because they have a little extra money um, got that CBS money. They got that CBS money, 
So you get you get a lot more fully realized 3D rendered people than you do on Flash. Um like like acting, you know, characters. But like uh, the Martian Manhunter. Like the Martian Manhunter, exactly. So but um but yeah, no, I thought Legends did a really good job, very smart about uh where to where to spend the money on the effects, where not to spend the money on the effects, where to, you know, uh, there's not, it's not a big fancy uh, effect for the Wave Rider except for the ship itself, but um, but it looks cool, it works, it's not it's not insane. Um, uh, Adam looks good, Firestorm looks really good. Mm-hmm. Um, they make the, the the transition really works really well. Like the Hawks, they don't have their wings out all the time; they just have their wings out when we need them. So. It's like that all looks really good. And to speak to your point about the seventies, I think that um they did a nice um what I like what I liked most about the seventies sequence was that they did a they did a slightly different uh color timing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for the seventies stuff. So it looked like old photographs of the seventies. Not how you would go out and shoot a picture, you know, today. It looked like you'd shoot a picture in 1970, like the the color palette was slightly like off, like a little muted, and it looked like old pictures of the 70s as they've aged through time, not how the 70s actually looked. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it, yeah. It had a it had a slightly like it it, it just had like a Polaroid look. Yeah, to it. it reminded me of all the old pictures. I mean, I was born in 79, so it reminds me of the pictures. And I looked through them, especially as a kid, of you know my first year, first two years of being born. That kind of look, you look back at those old pictures, and it definitely has uh, just a completely different feel to it. Yeah, that's really cool. So, but production-wise, I think all the characters look really good. The ship looks cool. Gideon looks cool. Like they, they, they're getting it done. You know. You know, you see Captain Cold shoot his gun, but you don't see it like hit a dude and freeze him. We don't need to see that. We just need to see him right. shoot his gun. You know what I mean? It's it's that kind of like stuff that you gotta get done. I like. I I just had to say, you know, as we're wrapping up, I'm thinking about this show, and I really like it. And just I love the show. I think it's so fun. I I. The kinetic energy that the show has already, I think, is really impressive. And what I'm just looking forward to is a little bit of what we have talked about earlier is just getting the opportunity to know these characters deeper. And I think that's really going to be just a fantastic opportunity. And so I can't wait for that to happen. And, you know, I'm I'm finding, you know, I love every week that... Um, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, uh, Mondays because it's Supergirl and Tuesdays because it's The Flash, Wednesday because it's Arrow, and now I'm looking forward to Thursdays because it's Legends of Tomorrow. And, and you know, DC has that every single day of the week now except for Friday. So, guys, Friday's open. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's no reason to not... Uh, to not put something out there, um, and as we ra- <laughs> as we wrap up, um, for you guys, anything that um, you're looking forward to the most, you think, as this show ends up continuing down the line, um, and 
Jose, how many episodes are they going to be doing of, of Legends tomorrow? 16. You, okay. 16 episodes. Um, so they're basically now on the same schedule as Flash and Arrow. They're kind of, just imagine that they didn't have, you know, the first, uh, mm-hmm. whatever, I think it'd be eight, eight episodes? No, uh, 23, seven episodes. So um, now basically they'll all end right around the same time. Cool. That's excellent. So they just kind of just kind of came in mid stride, but yeah, they'll just they'll, they'll I believe it's sixteen. I think I'm mostly looking forward to it as a as a sort of like comic book and a DC nerd. Um, I want to see where they go. I want to see like the things that they encounter, the little I'm the little Easter eggs, the little char- other characters that they might encounter in traveling through time. One of the when at the beginning, uh, Rip Hunter does that speech about Hitler. Genghis Khan, Caesar, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. and then he and then he name drops a character called Perdegaton, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, nobody knows who nobody knows who Perdegaton is. Nobody, yeah, I know. Who I had to lurk is. it up, <laughs> right? I hear you. I know who Perdegaton was, right? So when he says that, I was like, "Whoa, deep cut, like deep cut," and that's the kind of stuff that gets me kind of jazzed. Like I, I'm, I'm in. Like I'm already into the show. Like I'll, you know, I'm watch. I'm gonna watch it. I'm I'm gonna enjoy it. I like these characters already. Um, I like the concept. I like the idea. Like it's cool. So if we're gonna do a time travel show in the DC universe, and that means we get to go to all kinds of places and see all kinds of things, and you know, sort of poke around in little corners of the DC universe. They've already said that they're gonna get Jonah Hex out there. Yes, yes, I saw that. That they're gonna do a Jonah Hex episode. So that's like that's awesome. Like, yes. Give me some Jonah Hex. Give me some Commandy the Last Boy in the far flung future. Give me some uh Sergeant Rock in World War Two, like haunted tank. I mean, give me whatever you got. I you know, I want I want the crazy. Bring me the crazy. You know, DC's bench is deep. So I if they're gonna travel through time, I'm I want them to, you know. I want them to. I want to see stuff. Yeah, redeem Jonah Hex for us, please. You know, when the, Jonah Hex needs. I mean, that movie was not good, but that book is fantastic. But, uh, but you know, it, that's what I mean. There's so many cool. When I was a boy, I DC printed this thing called uh, the Who's Who, and it's basically it was every month you got an issue. Uh, Marvel did the same thing called the Marvel Handbook, or the Handbooks of the Marvel Universe, or something like that. But every month you would get a book. And, in the, and it was in alphabetical order, and um, it was every DC character. So it started with A, and then you get a B issue, and you get or an A, you know, A Z through you know A S through A Z or whatever. You know, it would just go through all the characters, and I collected all of it. So I would sit there as a kid, and I would read all of these books, and like all these little tiny characters that like his first appearance was in 1950, whatever, and he was in three issues, but here he is, and that stuff was infinitely fascinating so if if legends can can do that for me and and just let me see guys or name check people that i normally don't hear about in most things i i'm all over that what about you bethany uh for me i just really look forward to seeing each of the characters fleshed out and seeing a bit more of the the world of the future the the great thing about time travel and we've seen this happen in the flash is that it, it creates for some storytelling possibilities uh, that are very fascinating to explore. So I, I really just look forward to the potential that the show has with with its characters and its setting. Ah, yeah, I don't think I could say it any better. Um, it's a great show, and I hope you, everyone will will 
watch it and and give it a chance. It's super fun. Uh, and it, of course, if you're already watching the Arrow and Flash, uh, you know you already know the quality that they do. If you've been watching Supergirl, you know how good these shows can be. Uh, this is just another great feather in their cap. I, I think it's starting off really well. Uh, it's a strong first episode, and we've talked about it. It's not perfect, but it's very strong, super fun, and it's it's the perfect way to be able to start, I think, uh, to get the engines primed for what will hopefully be just a rip-roaring season. So, uh, and yes, that was a Rip Hunter joke. So, uh, <laughs> I definitely want to thank uh, our Patreon associate producers, Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson. They make sure that the show can come to you each week. Um, and without them and their support, it just wouldn't be possible. Trek FM is a listener-supported network. And so that means that we get help from the listeners to be able to make sure that the content can keep coming to you each week. And we have a huge year here, obviously, with the 50th anniversary of Star Trek, the new movie coming out, new series coming out soon, and all the stuff we do here in the 602 Club. So we definitely need your support. You can just go to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can make sure that everything we do here keeps coming to you and gives us the opportunity to continue to improve and do more things that we want to do because of your support. So we really do appreciate all of you who give, and we encourage you to check everything out at patreon.com slash trekfm and become part of the team. So guys, this is fantastic. I love getting to talk about this stuff. Uh, Comic books are just... uh, Oh gosh, uh, if I con- counted how many comic book issues that I read every month, it's insane. My Comixology app is full. And now, you know, just getting this stuff on TV is is fantastic. So, But before we go, uh, Jose, let everybody know where they can find you online. And of course, I, I know you have your own podcast as well uh, that you do every week. Uh, and gosh, you guys have been doing that for years now. Years. Very, very long time. Uh, yeah, we got a show called The Zero Room. I did it with my friend Doug. We just did episode 323 this week, um, where we talked about the Suicide Squad trailer. We talked a little bit about um, the showrunner change on Doctor Who that's coming in a year. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of some other stuff. It's mostly a sort of day and date ish kind of newsy show. We talk about the things that uh, happened the previous week, things that we've seen, things that we're doing uh, related to all things uh, geeky and nerdy and and just entertainment in general. Uh, you can go to iTunes and just search for The Zero Room. We'll pop right up. That's where you can subscribe. You can find me on uh, Twitter. It's the easiest way to get a hold of me. But at Ringslinger, uh, that's kind of it. And uh, thanks for having me on. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. And Bethany, uh, goodness, before we go, uh, you have so much going on and you have podcasts that you do. And so let everybody know where they can find you online. All right. Well, you can find my personal Twitter accounts at Bethany L. Blanton, and I'm fairly active over there. I'm also on Instagram by the same name, but I also am part of a website and podcast called The Star Wars Report. And you can find all of our stuff over at StarWarsReport.com. 
Well, thank you so much, guys. Of course, if you want to find me, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. I'm on Instagram at NBrushing. You can find me doing The Orb here on the network with Christopher Jones talking about Deep Space Nine. And then I do Literary Treks with Dan where we talk about the books and the comics of Star Trek. I have my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us every week. And y'all come back now, you hear? What is-